Hope you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. The passage of Scripture that we're going to study this morning uh, seems like really just a historical account of a family birth and a family feud. <laughs> and there, and on the surface, it is. But I hope you're starting to see that Genesis isn't primarily a, a, a history book. It's a theology book. And we're learning much about God and his covenant and his plan of redemption through the book of Genesis. That's the whole purpose of it. And because there's going to be parts of this that doesn't seem fair. Hagar and Ishmael are going to be removed from the house. And it seems that even God is encouraging that to happen. And so we can think, like, if we're just thinking on the surface, you know, this doesn't look too good. <laughs> but we're studying, and what the sermon series is called, the covenant of redemption. That our sin that we read about back in chapter 3, where it began, separated us from the holy God. We were removed from his presence. Death entered our existence. And that God has put into place his purpose to redeem us from that. To redeem us from death. To redeem us from sin. To redeem us from our flesh. And to bring us back to him forever and ever. Redemption. And it's through Abraham that God has chosen to say your offspring through you is going to be a blessing to the whole world. And we've seen that his offspring fully, when it leads to the very end, is Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. He is God in flesh. And he is going to be the one that blesses the whole world through his death. Death for sin on the cross. Rising from the dead. For bringing all the nations that have been scattered because of sin back together into one nation under his name. That's what Genesis is leading us to. That's what it's pointing us to. And in chapter 21, 25 years after God called Abraham, we finally have the first offspring. Follow along with me as I read through 21. It reads this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. 
And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. Or, and, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Our God, this is your word. And our hearts are bowed before you, the author. This is your purpose, your plan. The only living book that can transform us as we believe the word that is written. So Father, I pray that you will help put our eyes in the right place. Open our ears to hear. Will you soften our hearts to believe the truths written here? That we can be redeemed. Our God, I thank you for your patience with us. As we have tested you so many times, and yet you are kind and compassionate. But Father, I pray that we will not wait too long. For your judgment is coming. So Lord, bring us to faith now. Because today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So Abraham and Sarah, we have found out chapters ago, Sarah is barren. She's not able to have children. They've pretty much given up on any thought of having children. 75 years old, about, Abraham gets called by God. And God tells him that he will have an offspring. They were promised this by God, and, and now, 25 years later, they've been waiting. 25 years of waiting. Remember not long ago, the angels came and they told Abraham, and really were kind of telling Sarah, because she was just listening in, I'm going to come back next year and you're going to have a child. I mean, they've already heard this. They've heard the promise, but it's kind of war on them because they're not seeing it. It's not happening. So what did they do when they heard them say those words? And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not 
call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right? Hagar's son. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then what happened to Sarah when she heard this? The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Though these two have displayed great faith in the past, they have followed the Lord, they have done mighty acts of faith. In that moment, they expressed their doubt. How can this really be, Lord? How can this be? I mean, you could have done this back when the way of women was with me, when my body was able to do this sort of thing, but now that I'm worn out and old and not able to, you're going to give me this sort of promise? You're going to give me that kind of hope now? And they laughed to themselves. But you see, the Lord was not slow as some would account slow. At just the right time, so that it's known to everybody, this is only God could do this. This child had to be from the Lord. She became pregnant and she bore a son. God doesn't just choose to be truthful all the time. The difference is with the Lord is that truth abides in Him. He doesn't just choose to speak truth. Truth is in Him. He is truth. So when He told Abraham and Sarah those words, it was truth. How they reacted to that truth was on them. But the Lord was truthful. He knew what He was doing. But how many times can we relate to them? How many times, like the people of Scripture, do you sit there and go, How long, O oh Lord? How long? Have you forgotten me? Where are you? I want you to be assured this morning that if God has said it, it will happen. If God has said it, it will happen. I pray that we'll find comfort in this story where though they doubted for a time, the Lord proved His faithfulness. The laughter they once had that was full of doubt when that child was born became laughter of joy. Isaac means he laughs. That's his name. 
They once laughed in doubt over the promise of God, but when that baby was born and they witnessed God's work in them and that God was faithful to it and they had this son, one they've been waiting for 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 a long, long, long time, that doubtful laughter became laughter, that, that almost unavoidable constant laughter that just comes from you. That happiness and gratefulness have welled up in them and it's just coming out as joy. And it even says that everyone witnessing this is joining them. It's this contagious laughter of joy that Abraham, their ally, their master, their friend in his old age is now a father. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. Too many times we are pleading to God for blessing, but we kind of shortchange Him with our requests. We think too small. We think that temporal pleasure or temporal relief is the ultimate answer to our happiness. But God has set our eyes on a living hope, like we just sang about this morning. A fellowship with the living God where all evil and all sin and all disease and all regret and all doubt are washed away, cast away. And we find the eternal joy and peace our hearts have craved for all of these years. How long, O Lord? This must be our mindset, that we would change our minds about what we need for relief in our lives. If God could give us one thing, this would help me. Listen, it's not more money. It's not better health. It's not some earthly relationship that we're lacking. And though God does grant those things at times, they are never the eternal cure for us. Though God does grant them, what we need is what Paul describes, and he compares it to childbirth. What do we need that ultimately relieves us of all of our longings? He says it in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what we need. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us, that we would be resurrected in Christ. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, subject, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Jesus taught similar things. <clears throat> That's where the Apostle Paul got it from. And I wonder, in this passage I'm about to read, if Jesus was thinking about Sarah in that moment. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, I'm going to leave. And it's going to cause you great sorrow. He was going to ascend back to heaven. He's like, I'm leaving you on your own. And here's how he describes it to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice because they think they got rid of Jesus, right? You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And I love this last line. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. That we would see and focus our minds on the kingdom of Christ. Listen, we're not going to be a joyful, successful church if we keep thinking on the temporary level. Unless we start thinking on the eternal level, on God's purpose and God's plan and what He's doing and what He's promised, we're always going to shortchange Him in our prayers and our hopes and our desires. But we see a God who has revealed Himself to us and all of our pain and all of our sorrow, He says everything that you're going through today is going to suddenly be transformed into joy when Jesus comes back. When he arrives and you see him just like a woman who has just gone through the pain of childbirth but she's holding the baby and she says it was all worth it. It was all worth it. So will we. When we lay eyes on our king and our savior and we see him, we're going to say it was all worth it. The road he led me down, I'd do it again if it ended me here. And we find an extremely overjoyed father here. Verse 4, Abraham did what God commanded. He circumcised Isaac, which was the sign of that covenant. That Remember, he said, I'm going to place my eternal covenant on this boy, Isaac. Right? Not Ishmael, Isaac. It's, that's theologically so important. And then he waited till the child was weaned. And then he was going to hold a feast. He's going to this great feast. This is my boy. I want you to come and celebrate my boy. And as I was reading that, it got me thinking about the future. About that time when the Lord arrives and he comes and he takes his church. And he brings them into his presence. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. To him and what? I will eat with him and he with me. Then it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. This is from heaven. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. Jesus is taking his church for his own. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Right? It's important. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. Are you suffering this morning in any way? Is there anxiety in your heart? Does the presence and the promises of God seem just far, far off? I, I, I just don't feel it this morning. The, the coming of Christ isn't on my mind. Jesus is calling us by faith to hold fast to his word. Hold fast to it. May it feed us spiritually. May it give us endurance that when we enter his glory, we will do so with unbreakable joy that no one can ever take from us again. And we will have intimate fellowship with our Savior forever. That is the joy we find here with the birth of Isaac. He can see it now. A promise fulfilled. I'm holding this baby that I doubted would come. But he's here. But, but, not everybody rejoiced in the birth of Isaac. There was this 14 or 15 year old kid. He was daddy's boy for a long time. And at the birth of Isaac, he knew he was going to be replaced. He, he wasn't going to be dad's favorite. Remember Ishmael? He's the son of Abraham and Hagar. There was a point in time when Abraham knew that God had promised him a son, but his wife was barren, so he took it upon himself to come up with a plan. He says, I'm going to get myself a son. And he takes this Egyptian girl and has a, a boy with her. And God says, no, that's not the one. And so it says in verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, saw him laughing. This was a different laughter. <laughs> this wasn't a laughter of joy. This wasn't a laughter of celebration. This was different. Some uh, translations say mocking, that he was mocking the baby, or however old he is now, one or two years old that he's poking fun of him. I think the Apostle Paul has it right. He writes about this whole thing in the book of Galatians. Look the word he uses. He says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Okay, he's talking to the church. But just as at the time he who was born, that's Isaac, according or Ishmael, born according to the flesh, what did he do? Persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. Use the word persecution. <laughs> that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. But what does the scripture say? Just as I read in Genesis. Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. See, I told you it's going to get theological. <laughs> This is all about covenant. 
Because you read this and you go, God, seriously, you just cast these, this woman and her son away into the wilderness? You took them away from their family? You took them away from what they know? But you see, theologically, it had to happen. All right? So Ishmael, we find here, is verbally going after Isaac. All right? This teenager may be making fun of this toddler in some way. Sarah sees it happen and says, Abraham, I don't want him here anymore. I don't want him around. He's a remembrance of what we did in the past that was a mistake. He uh, isn't my son, and I don't want him here. I don't want him somehow to share in the inheritance of my son. Get him out of here. And it says that Abraham was displeased on the account of his son. But if you take note, and it's very important, because I called this Abraham's only son. Obviously, he has two. So why would I say that? The only one in this whole account that calls Ishmael his son is Abraham. He's the only one. Even God, in reference, when he talks about Ishmael, calls him the boy. Says, Get, you can cast away the boy. So God tells him to do so. Do what your wife has said to do. Cast them away. They are no longer part of your tribe. They're no longer part of your family. He is no longer your son, in essence. Hagar believes they're going to die in the wilderness. They're out of water. The elements are eventually going to kill him. So he takes her 14, 15-year-old son says, sit over here. He is dying of thirst. She goes, uh, as far as you can shoot a bow and arrow, which for me, I'd still be able to see him pretty well, um, but apparently a good, uh, a good shot, and sits somewhere else, says, I don't want to watch my son die. I don't want to watch. And God, just like he did before with Hagar, comes to her and takes care of her. And so God is not being cruel to Hagar he is going to take care of her. He, get, he shows her a well, gives her her immediate need. Uh, even it goes on to say that, um, uh, that Ishmael finds a wife. Of course, Hagar would take her out of Egypt. That's where she's from. And that God was going to make him into a great nation. All right? He is going to be blessed because he does have the genetics that came down from Abraham. But here's the point. He is not the covenant son. He is not the covenant son. This seems unlike God to separate family, but it's not about the family here. It's about the covenant. And we're learning theology in the book of Genesis. And this is so important because as Paul just told us in the book of Galatians, Ishmael is the son of the flesh. He is the son that, uh, of those who follow after the flesh, those sinful actions, the human works, Right? Those things that we do on our own. Just like Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar. They went out on their own. They did not follow the Lord's commands. And they, and they made up life as, in their own knowledge and wisdom. And it really got messed up. He says, from now on, Ishmael is the son of flesh. Those who follow after sin. That is who Ishmael is. He can re represent Religiosity, right? 
All of these religions trying to get to God by our own attempt, our own knowledge. We're trying to just kind of make this up as we go. He's the child that leads to death, separation of, from God. But Isaac, Isaac, he, it keeps getting said that. Isaac is the child of promise. He's the one that God intended all along. He is the one that his covenant is going to be going through. And though Abraham claimed to have two sons, God is actually going to correct him in chapter 22. We're not there yet, but just look at this. He said, this is God talking to Abraham, Do not lay your hand on the boy, Isaac, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, look at this phrase, your only son from me. Seeing the eyes of the Lord in the eyes of God in the calling of Abraham, Abraham only had one. That was the intent. That was the covenant. Ishmael was man's idea. And God cast it away. God saved Abimelech last week from touching Sarah, if you remember that, because he wanted all to know without a doubt that Isaac belonged to Abraham. Right? So he, he didn't allow Abimelech to touch Sarah so that no one could say, well, maybe, maybe Isaac's half Philistine. Didn't let that happen. He wanted us to know without a doubt that Isaac is Abraham and is Sarah's. And now by the casting away of Ishmael, we can know for sure that the redemption God has promised only comes through one son. Only one. And that son does not share his glory with any other. That's what Dave read this morning. Jesus said, I am the only way. I am the door. I am the way unto the Father. I am the only way. If you try to get to me through the line of Ishmael, you're going to find death and separation and destruction. But through the line of the one Son leads to salvation by the Father. Again, if we read this just by history, we'd go, that seems like a strange thing God did. But when we read it theologically, we say God, in his infinite wisdom, knew Ishmael could no longer be a part of the family of, of Abraham because the people of flesh don't share in the inheritance of Abraham, the man of faith. The man of faith is only through one son, and we know that son is Jesus the Christ, right? He is the only way unto heaven. He's the only way unto the Father. So when we get into our applications here, we have to know that the redemption from sin found in God's covenant to Abraham is found in only one promised son. Only one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, humanity's problem as we live in the flesh, even if we claim religiousness, we don't look to the only son. We, we look for any other way. We say there's many roads to heaven. Christianity is just one of them. 
But the Bible makes it very clear that if you're going to believe the God of the Bible, then you have to reject every other way. Because he said there's only one way. And it is through belief in Christ alone. The promises of God are true, church. They're, they're true. And though he seems slow to fulfill them, and that big word there is seems, we can trust him completely. And he said, I'm coming back, and I'm going to judge the wicked, and I'm going to exalt the righteous. That's what he said he will do. On the day of Christ, when he returns, he's coming as the judge of all humanity. And those who are in Christ through faith, through the offspring of Abraham, right? They will be uh, resurrected unto new life into the eternal kingdom of God. But for those who reject the only son, they will face destruction, cast away like Ishmael. You see, Ishmael had to be cast away. It's, an, it's a warning to us. To anyone who wants to try to live in the flesh and make their way to God, you are cast away. Cast away. It says the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why has Jesus not yet returned today? so that we'll repent. He's given us another day to repent, to turn away from our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus and say, I can't, I have, I have no merit. I can't stand before you. In my sin, I deserve what is coming to me. But through Christ, will you redeem me? It says the Lord turns no one away. That comes by faith. Lastly, church, keep your eyes on the eternal. That joy that's set before you. Because life is tough. Life is full of suffering. Life is full of pain. Life is full of uncertainty. Life is full of anxiety. Life is full of false messages and false hopes. Life is full, right? And if our eyes are not set on the eternal, thinking continually about the coming of the Lord Jesus then we are easily led astray. We're easily discouraged. We'll easily fall away. But if we can be like Christ, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings, cast it away like Ishmael, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, how did he endure our sufferings in life? For the joy set before him, he endured a cross. He despised the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I want to end our time together just by simply reading out of Colossians. And then I'll close in prayer. If then, church, you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Our Father, I thank you for this truth, that you have loved us so much that you would send your only Son to die in our place, to take the death we deserve because of sin. Our God, I pray that you help each of us this morning. Increase our faith. Father, don't allow the things of this world to drag us down, but help us by your power to cast away the weights and the sins that are holding us back. Father, we thank you for the, the victory we have in the blood of Christ. That in his death, in his resurrection, we have found eternal life. Knowing you are God. So Lord, I pray that that truth will bring us to this overflowing joy of laughter. That we are a people that nobody can strip their joy from. That we are eternally happy, blessed, you call, for we will see God and will be granted the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for Genesis, for showing us these truths where everything started but here seeing that you knew the beginning from the end. You had everything all mapped out, and you're doing what you want to do. And Father, that we can be blessed in this plan. We rejoice and sing to you. In Christ's name, amen.